Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Why does Mary always seem to be rooting for the Roman Catholic Church? Are these apparitions a reflection of our need for the feminine instead of just the masculine in our experience of God? Hey there, and welcome to the 230th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those unusual questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. But before we begin, it's time for, well, you know what time it is, our weekly con- weekly paranormal contest time. So last week's question was, in what American town is a famous ghost train supposedly heard every August 27th? Right. Well, I will uh, wait to share this here, Ben. Oh, sorry. All right. Uh, I'll take a shot at this. Scott of Goldwyn from Uxbridge, Massachusetts, was the first to get the correct answer, Statesville, North Carolina. Okay, so this question, or for the week, is, in what year did attacks by poltergeists cause a school in Uganda, uh, or uh, close a school in Uganda twice? Okay, so get that right, and win a copy of Marian Apparitions Are Real by tonight's guest. Call us locally at 401-766-1240. Or nationally at ON 449, uh, at nationally at 800-449-1240. Oh, it's definitely Monday. Okay, so if nobody gets it right before the end of the show, uh, drop a line to me at BennettBehindTheParanormal.com. Okay. Kevin A. Cook is a longtime student of the paranormal, a former minister, and a convert to Roman Catholicism. He reports that upon conversion, he experienced some very moving paranormal events. This encouraged him to investigate Marian apparitions, or in other words, apparitions of Mary, a topic that had always interested him. The result is his new book, Marian Apparitions Are Real! Exclamation point. Kevin holds a bachelor's degree from Upper Iowa University and a master's in theology from a Protestant seminary. He is doing graduate work in theology at this time at the Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. His website, www. Marian apparitions are real.com. And do we have Kevin? Uh, no, we're having some microphone problems. Oh, we're having some. Is he on the line? Or? Use that one. Okay. All right. Um, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to assume you heard me there. Okay, we've got. Um, uh, have we got Kevin on the line? Okay. All right. We are going. We forgot to call our guest, but uh, anyway, we're going to be talking about Marian apparitions, apparitions of the Virgin Mary. Most people have heard of the miracles uh, approved by the Roman Catholic Church at um, Fatima, of course, and uh, Lourdes, and more, more recently at Medjugorje in uh, Yugoslavia, or what was once Yugoslavia. And we will have to see how, um, if we, we were having a few technical difficulties tonight, we'll try to get in touch with our guest as soon as we possibly can here. One of the things that we notice, uh, having studied in the seminary myself for many, many years, uh, both Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox seminaries, is the difference in various Christian spiritualities. Now, one of the more interesting cases we're going to talk about tonight is not only one that, that shows the difference between Christian spiritualities, but also those of Muslims and Jews and a number of other groups. And that is the appearance in Zaytun, Egypt, some years ago. I don't remember the exact year, uh, of a, an apparition of the Virgin Mary, apparently on top of a 
an Orthodox church, a Coptic Orthodox church in Egypt, not far from Cairo, and it was witnessed unusually, not just by Christians of various groups, but also by Muslims and Jews. Now, it's interesting that Muslims honor the Virgin Mary too. They don't honor her in the same way. They don't have devotion to her as some Christians do, but they, they do honor her. As a matter of fact, she is referred to uh, more frequently in the Quran than she is in the Bible. So that's an interesting bit of, of information that a lot of people probably don't realize. So we are um, still trying to reach our guest here. And uh, again, his book, Marian Apparitions Are Real. And he talks not only about apparitions of the Virgin Mary, but also apparitions of Jesus as well. What's interesting is he actually has four Orthodox apparitions in his book. He does, he points that out, yeah, yeah. And the difference in the spiritualities here, as Ben will will amplify here, is that in Western Christianity, in other words, Roman Catholics and Protestants, their spirituality is pretty much based seemingly on uh, the crucifixion and death of Jesus, the passion of Christ. Whereas uh, in the Eastern Church, the Orthodox and, and the Copts, people of this kind, uh, the ancient Orthodox churches, the spirituality seems pretty much to be based on the resurrection of Christ, which is um, not that one is right or wrong, it's just the way the spirituality is developed. So as a result, you have a lot of interesting symbols in the Western Church. If you go to a Roman Catholic Church of any kind of traditional uh, ilk, you'll see, for example, a statue of Christ with... Uh, uh, almost like a heart, uh, the sacred heart as it's known, uh, visible on his his chest, and very often with a cross on it, or some uh, cr- like a crown of thorns around that, uh, emphasizing again uh, the poignancy and the passion uh, of the suffering of Christ. But in the Eastern churches, they tend to uh, emphasize, of course, the resurrection, and you'll see uh, a little bit more. Uh, Spirituality and symbolism in that direction. You don't see uh, the the uh, symbols of suffering. Of course, you have the crucifix, that sort of thing. So, as a result of these differences in, in the, the emphasis of these spiritualities, the miracles that accompany uh, the spiritualities, the miracles that will occur or are reported to or are reported by people from these different traditions, uh, will reflect in a way those traditions. And I find that very interesting. Um, and so, uh, anyway, we're going to um, try again to get in touch with our guests. So, in the meantime, while we're waiting to contact Kevin Cook here, our author, we're going to uh, uh, go to Plan B here temporarily and uh, look at a few. We'll get off the subject of Marian operations, unless, of course, Ben has uh, some more insights in that. Well, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. Right. I know as little, like as little as possible. I know what they are. Well, I know there's, there's been a lot of interest in this show from people, uh, not only in our own listening area, which is heavily Roman Catholic, but uh, from people around uh, interested in spirituality in general, because they're always interested in uh, our kind of unique, not unique, but canted take on spirituality at times. Yeah, I know. Uh, while we're waiting for our guests, let's um, let's look at some of our uh, information that we've recently received from our good friend Lon Strickler. Of phantomsandmonsters.com. And Lon is uh, a fellow who spends a great deal of time assembling uh, reports from all over the world of very, very interesting and unusual events. And uh, we have one, uh, The Mothman Comes Home. This was a report. Oh, do we have, before we get into Mothman, maybe we have Kevin Cook here. All right. Well, in any case, uh, this is uh, was uh, reported on the 11th of March of this year. And uh, Lon uh, reports that he received a, the following email from a woman in Ohio 
with concerns in reference to a sighting uh, she and her girlfriend had had six months ago. She stated that uh, she substituted their names for anonymity. Megan, in the email, affirms that all other details, location, date, and description of the incident are factual. And says, my name is Megan. I'm forwarding a summary of an experience that I had, uh, a friend, I and a friend had in August 2010. My friend and associate, Kira, and I traveled from Columbus, Ohio, to Ravenswood, West Virginia, on business. And, of course, West Virginia, I might add, is where most of these Mothman things are reported in the 1960s. Uh, while we were there, I wanted to make a side trip to Gallipolis, Ohio, in order to visit relatives I had not seen for quite some time. After our meeting and presentation, we drove uh, <clears throat> to Ohio Route 7. Interestingly enough, a few years ago, Ben and I and his brother were on that uh, route on the way down to, uh, to speak in Alabama. And traveling south along the Ohio River towards Gallipolis, we had a nice, though brief, visit with my relatives. Uh, and then she reports that after they had uh, done some shopping, they were walking to the car when they noticed a woman running through the parking lot. And when she reached her car, she looked back in the direction of the store, then hurriedly got into her car. I quickly looked in the same direction and saw what looked like a large bird flying above the roof of the store. The so-called Mothman sightings often were characterized by sightings of large bird-like creatures, very large, and also of a of a the, 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 what the press dubbed Mothman, a very large winged creature with very often reported with blazing red eyes but no discernible head. Uh, very strange. Uh, one of those things you really couldn't make up, I shouldn't think. Anyway, uh, the email goes on. I quickly looked in the same direction and saw what looked like a large bird flying above the roof of the store, as I just said. It was difficult to see, but when it swooped downward, the parking lot lights would shine off of it. It looked like it was either oily or had shiny, leather-like skin. Whatever it was, it had wide wingspan. I would guess it reached 8 to 10 feet across. We have our guest. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll have to leave you at that in that parking lot in West Virginia. We have our guest uh, with us, uh, Kevin A. Cook. And Kevin, uh, welcome to the show. Finally. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Okay. T- take him off hold. Okay. Uh, Ben's gonna give some advice here. Anyway, so uh, our parking lot uh, witnesses here, uh, and this uh, email goes on eight to ten feet across this wingspan. Uh, we were both somewhat shocked at what uh, we witnessed, but figured that it was just a huge bird. Since it was dark, I figured we had misjudged what it really was. We drove back to the hotel and decided to call it a night so we could get an early start on the drive home uh, the next day. Are we... Why do I hear my own voice? <laughs> All right. I got ready for bed, but thought I'd watch some television first. By this time, it was around 10 p.m. or so. I must have dozed off fairly quickly because the next thing I remember is a frantic knocking on my door. I stumbled out of bed and checked who it was. It was Kira, and she was obviously very upset. Uh, She rushed into my room and said, It's here. What are you talking about, I said, a little bit perturbed that she woke me up. She said that she was lying on the bed, her bed, reading when she heard something in the hallway. She got out of bed, walked to the door, and listened to what she thought was scratching sounds. After a few minutes, the sound stopped. She went back to bed. Not long after she lay down, she heard more scratching sounds, but from outside her window. Again, she got up and peeked through the curtains. This time, something looked back at her. Our rooms were on the second floor, in the back section of the hotel, and both looked out on a small parking lot with a large field beyond that. She could see what she described as a bald, ugly man with wings, who was looking directly at her with large, bulging eyes that lit up bright red. It was there for a few seconds, 
it then spread its wings while running at the same time toward the end of the parking lot, lifting off the ground like a bird. You're kidding, right? I muttered to her. Meg, I swear that thing is out there and it knows we saw it. I knew the only way I was going to get some sleep was to allow Kira to stay in my room. The next morning we woke early, checked out, and drove back to Columbus. Well, again, two witnesses, apparently, who wrote to our friend Lon Strickler about this. And uh, Lon, of course, the collector of, of, of all sorts of interesting items uh, about the paranormal and about the probably the fr- fringe nooks and crannies of the paranormal as well. And again, this sounding very, very much like the so-called Mothman incidents of the 1960s in this very area. The film, The Mothman Prophecies, starring Richard Gere and Laura Linney, uh, came out in '02, I believe, and it was not a big success, but it has become somewhat of a cult film among those who are interested in this subject. And uh, still no luck. Okay. Uh, maybe we ought to contact the big cheeses here and find out what's going on. Uh, stand by. We will have our uh, friend on the air here shortly. Our guest today. All right, very good. Meanwhile, we'll continue with uh, some of our bizarre stories that uh, have nothing to do with our subject tonight, but which will keep us hopefully interested while we try and pin things down. But again, the Mothman incidents, uh, as reflected in this film, the Mothman prophecies were not really accurate historically, but they did nevertheless uh, illustrate the the strange things that were going on in in that area in the the 1960s. The film uh, does involve a figure like the one described in these emails okay. and such do as... We, do we have our guest with us? Let's give it a shot here. Okay. Um, Mr. Mr. Cook, are you with us? Hello? Uh, Mr. Cook, no? Oh, dear. But he is on the line. Okay, we're having... Well, he's in, he's in the system. Okay. He's in the system. Okay. Well, I'll let you two keep working on it, and I'm going to keep going here. Here, but anyway, uh, the the point of the film was that this Mothman <coughs> creature, whatever it was, was predicting a terrible disaster, which in fact did occur: uh, the collapse of the so-called Silver Bridge over the Ohio River in uh, night. I believe it was December, just before Christmas, nineteen sixty-seven. And there is, uh, we do have a guest next week. Uh, who will be, uh, not next week, but in the next few weeks, who will be uh, reporting on his photographing of such a creature on that bridge. So, in any case, uh, we'll see what uh, what happens with that. But uh, here we have, uh, again, one of a number of reports of the so-called Mothman uh, long after that particular event occurred. So, uh, if you believe that the Mothman event ceased in 1967 with the collapse of the bridge as reported in the movie. Apparently, according to these folks, that is not the case. Now, we also have uh, <coughs> another report here. This is from Uruguay and uh, something of a uh, UFO situation here. Okay, do we have uh, Kevin, are you with us? I'm here. Can you oh. help me? Well, thank heaven. <laughs> I was running out of Mothman stories. I know, but it's some paranormal itself here. Absolutely. Well, we're very glad to have you. We have introduced you uh, on the uh, show a little bit earlier and talked about your book, Marian Apparitions Are Real. And uh, if I can have that, that back, please, uh, Mr. Producer, I'd appreciate that. Thank you very much, sir. We'll begin our questioning. And, Ben, why don't you take it away? Oh, after much anticipation. Uh, a lot of people are anticipating this show. Yeah. Okay, well, I so hope I live up the anticipation. Okay. <laughs> so what exactly is a Marian apparition? Okay, a Marian apparition is either a, a visual 
only apparition or one where she actually communicates with witnesses or seers, as they're called. So, in other words, it could be either a quiet one or one full of actual, where she actually talks to okay. witnesses. All right. Oh, right. Okay, so how far back in Christian history do Marian apparitions go? The earliest recorded apparition was 40 A.D. in Sargasso, Spain, where she appeared to the Apostle James, uh, who was evangelizing uh, Spaniards at the time. And uh, she, that was an uh, uh, apparition that was referred to as Our Lady of the Pillar. That was the earliest uh, recorded one. Oh, okay. All right. All right, so next. So you started out as a Protestant, which is usually indifferent or just plain hostile to the Virgin Mary. So right. how did you go from there to where you are today? Well, actually, I've always had an interest in these things, even when I was a student Methodist minister. As a matter of fact, uh, when I had a Methodist church, uh, when I was going to school up in uh, Eastern Shore, Maryland, if you're familiar with that peninsula, Delmarva Peninsula, mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, my ex-wife and I actually uh, researched one uh, where they had a bleeding statue with an Episcopal church in Wilmington, Delaware. Hmm. So I come to, I guess I'm a old frustrated paranormal investigator from way back. And, uh, but I've always been drawn to this, this phenomenon. I've always sensed there was validity to it. And what happened was, uh, in 2008, September 2008, I, uh, made a trip up to upstate New York, uh, for, you know, buying real estate. And, uh, the last day before I, I was going to fly out, I, uh, stopped at Our Lady of Martyr Shrine in Fultonville, New York, and I experienced what's called the odor of sanctity. I was there about an hour and a half, and guys, uh, for the first 45 minutes, I smelled an overpowering, cloying, knock-you-down smell of roses. And uh, I've got bad allergies here in Texas, and just because I was in New York for a couple days didn't cure me. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was truly remarkable, and I, I finally went to the museum up there, and I asked the lady there, the curator, I said, what have you got that's so fragrant up here? Because I, you know, I sell plants for a living. I'm the wholesale nursery guy. And uh, she said, nothing. <laughs> she said, you know, some pines and maples. And the only flowers were like 20 acres away, not even a blood apple smell. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there was something paranormal I was experiencing. And she actually showed me on a map of the grounds up there where it probably had the strongest smell or odor. And uh, that was where the first uh, rosary was said in that part of the country in 1642. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was really a remarkable experience. If anybody ever gets a chance to go up there, they should. Hmm. Coldenville, New York, about 40 miles east of Albany. Okay. But, yeah, I have heard of it. Yeah, because I, I went to one of the second seminary I graduated from was Wadhams Hall in Augsburg, New York, and that's not all that far from there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a remarkable experience. And that was kind of a boost for me to go ahead and, and to write the book because the, this odor of sanctity phenomenon is, very much associated with many different Marian apparitions. Indeed it is, yeah. Well, I, I, it's also associated with with the uh, religions of a number of, of people who have, you know, report miracles, or sometimes Christian, non-Christian, whatever. It's very interesting that way. Uh, yep. Ben's got one more question. Oh, actually, I kind of... Well, you kind of answered that, but what other experiences have you had after your conversion? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, well, I had one. i got to understand, let me preface this by saying I'm... By occupation, I'm, I've been a salesman my whole life. Just, I'm kind of, I'm not really what one would call a overly sensitive individual. Not, I mean, what I'm trying to say is I'm not one prone to flights of fancy and, and kind of a rock solid kind of fellow. What I'm basically trying to say, but it, this is a preface. But <laughs> one thing that happened to me when I 
you know how you go to, when you join the Catholic Church, you go to a year's RCIA program where you don't actually take communion until you're confirmed. Catechumen, that they used to be called, yeah. That they still did, yeah. yeah. And what happened was, now this was very strange, but guys, it happened just this way. Uh, I went to the first Mass, and I, of course, I'm used to the East Coast, and, uh, you know, I, the church I go to is 26,000 members, but the, the lobby looks like a, a theater lobby. It's very modern. And uh, I didn't know where the holy water fountains were initially. And I sat down, I, and I, I'm waiting for the service to start, but I see where the veteran Catholics are coming in, and I say, oh, well, that's where they are. And uh, so anyway, I go through the service and come out and understand there's two or 3,000 people back of me, so I'm trying to get to the parking lot before it gets, uh, you know, a half-hour snarl. And uh, I mechanistically, you know, cross myself with the holy water, and... I, there's an overpowering chill that goes through my torso. And I thought, whoa. <laughs> chill? And, yes, hmm. exactly. And I didn't do this with any great anticipation, like now I'm applying the holy water or anything. I did it mechanistically like most Catholics would do. And uh, I noted that. And, and fellas, it happened the first two times I, I went to Mass. And I, I mentioned it to the deacon who was over the RCA program. He said, Kevin, you're not the only one that's had that. <laughs> So I've had hmm. a few little strange experiences connected with this. Okay, yeah, let's, uh, you know, I've heard, you know, many times people have reported things of that kind in uh, situations uh, that may or may not have been prayerful or even unexpectedly uh, yeah. that have moved them very much. Uh, tell us about some of the major Marian apparitions and if you could point out what characteristics they might have in common. Well, yes, uh, really the most interesting ones, of course, they go all the way back. Oh, and let me just mention, your book has a, a very complete and excellent list of these. Yes. So, thank you. I'm sorry to interrupt, but go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, yes, I got that from the uh, International Marian Research Institute, you know, part of the University of Dayton. They're very nice to give me that list. But that's only from the year 1900 to the present. And what I'm going to say, I think, importantly, is that there's like several hundred in that little appendage. But what I'm saying, appendix, but what I'm trying to say is that... Uh, I think the frequency of these apparitional events it has been that frequent all the way back. In other words, I think there's literally been thousands of these apparitional instances. It just, of course, record-keeping is better after 1900. But uh, it, uh, the ones that really strike me would start with the one at Our Lady of Guadalupe in 1531 okay. in Mexico City. And she appeared in this case a little differently than mother, she appeared to a 57-year-old man, Juan Diego, and uh, in my part of the country, there's a lot of uh, Mexican-Americans, and they have frequently this image of Our Lady of Guadalupe on the back of their pickup trucks. They may have it up there, too, I'm not certain. Huh. But uh, it's that image was an image that was uh, transferred onto this Juan Diego's cactus husk cloak that he was wearing, and that cactus husk cloak has been in church custody for almost 500 years, has never deteriorated. Yeah, I understand it's on display in the Cathedral of Mexico City. Yeah, the Basilica, yes. And it's only been under glass for 150 years. And, of course, for the 500-year period, subject to humidity, heat, smoke, all, all forms of things. And it's, it's in pristine condition. And better than that, uh, it's been examined by scientists and shown to have no evidence of tracing or pigment. They have no idea how that image was formed by this very fragile cactus cluster. Wow, almost like the shroud. 
very much so. Yeah. And, and like, unlike the shroud, it's been tested a lot more. It's much more available for, you know, scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And okay. it even gets better than that. In the eyes of the Virgin Mary, because the picture that's depicted is the Virgin Mary as she's standing before Juan Diego and what have you. The image that's reflected in her eyes, of course our eyes are curved. They have curved lenses. And there's a distortion effect called the Samson-Purkinje effect. And this is just a curved lens. And that same distorted image is found in the Virgin Mary's eyes on the cactus husk garment. And it, it shows Juan Diego and a couple other individuals, presumably the bishop who he presented roses to, uh, in this reflection. And what I'm saying, there's no way, even with modern technology, you could replicate that effect, especially not in 1531. <laughs> no, I shouldn't think so. No. No. Oh. All right, okay, well, let's, and of course, there's Fatima and Lourdes, which is pretty, are pretty well known to just about everybody, that are approved by the church. But I'm, I'll tell you, uh, Kevin, I've always been struck by how religious miracles correspond, and we talked a little bit about this before we got you out of cyber limbo there. Um, miracles correspond to the culture and beliefs of the people who witness them. Not always, but usually. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not aware of the Virgin Mary appearing to a Muslim and saying, hey, become a Roman Catholic, or of Shiva appearing to a Christian and saying, get with it, become a Hindu. I mean, no. what? So, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, have there been any attempts by apparitions to do that, that, that you know of, that I don't know about? No, but here, let me explain. I will say this, that in many messages the Virgin Mary's had, in Fatima and others, uh, she has said that she is a... Uh, has an ecumenical approach, because I expected, uh, you know, Catholicism would be the main stress, convert like you're saying, but not at all. Uh, she indicates she has a very much of an ecumenical approach, and there's one, you know, reference to Muslims, the most dramatic, bar none, apparition of all time most Catholics don't even know about, and it, uh, it occurred in, uh, especially in the era of 1968 to 1970 in Zaitun, Egypt. Oh, we were talking about that earlier. Yeah, please go ahead. Well, now this was quite remarkable. Uh, what happened, it occurred originally when a garage worker was across the road and he saw, it looked like a, a, someone standing on the dome of St. Mark's Coptic Church, mm-hmm. that Eastern Orthodox group, and, uh, or Eastern Christian group. And, uh, you know, of course he said, lady, don't, you know, don't jump. <laughs> yeah. You know. And, uh, and he pointed out his hand, and his, hand, his finger was diseased. It was going to be amputated that day, that week, uh, for gangrene. And it was miraculously healed. Aside. Really? I hadn't heard that. Yes. Wow. Now, was he a Christian or was he a Muslim? Because there he was, was a Muslim. Wow. Because this, this is why that particular miracle is so unusual, because you had witnessed by Jews, Christians of various groups, and, and Muslims. All, because this was a, it's kind of a mixed neighborhood. Exactly. As I understand it, yeah. So please, it, it please was, uh, and actually, Coptics make up perhaps 15% of the uh, Egyptian population. Yeah, I know, they're having a rough time of it right about now. They are and always have, but but here's the thing, is that she appeared over this church three to five times a week for two straight years. Mm-hmm. They had as many as a quarter million people in the square around it at any given time, and at this time, in 68, there was a president they had, similar to what has been recently the case, a strong man named uh, Nasser. And he was basically a client of the Soviets. There was a power struggle there. Yeah. And Nasser was a nominal Muslim, but basically he's mostly a socialist. 
definitely not somebody that could promote Christianity. Yeah, I knew I knew one of his generals very well, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, what and happened right. was, here's what, here, this is kind of interesting. What happened was, Nasser, actually, he sent special forces troops door to door to door, a mile square around that church to see if it was some kind of projection or chicanery or something. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find a thing. And at the end of the two-year investigative period and experience, he issued a statement saying it was absolutely valid. Okay. Actually, we're going to stop there and take a break, but we'll be right back to continue our conversation on that very amazing situation. Uh, Right here on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WLON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley. Stay with us. Hi, Joyce Berube here, member of the Woonsocket Elks. I want to tell you about the annual Children's Fishing Derby sponsored by the City of Woonsocket and the Woonsocket Lodge of Elks, which will be held on April 9th at Cass Park for children 12 years old and younger. The derby starts at 6 a.m. until 11 a.m. and awards will be handed out at 11.30. There will be prizes given away throughout the morning in order to include as many children as possible. We will also be giving away a boys 20-inch bike and a girls 20-inch bike. There will be a drug awareness table set up by Hank Payette, Woonsocket Elks drug awareness chairperson. We will be serving hot dogs, hot chocolate, soda, and coffee. So to all you parents out there, if your children are 12 years old and under, come on down to Cass Park and register them for the Derby and have some fun. You may register the children at Parks and Recreation on River Street or at Pete's Tackle on Burnside Avenue. Elks members may register their children at the Elks Lodge at 380 Social Street. We are praying for good weather, but the Derby is on rain or shine. So mark your calendar, April 9th, 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. Thank you, and we hope to see you there. You can depend on us for public service. Owen Radio. And we're back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM on ONWorldwide.com. And we're speaking this evening with Kevin A. Cook, who was the author of a, a very interesting book, Marian Apparitions Are Real, Visits from Jesus and Mary. And we're talking about one of the more remarkable modern cases in Zaytun, Egypt, where uh, the, this apparition of Mary was not only photographed and seen by millions of, well, well probably millions of people in the long term, uh, but was witnessed by people who were not necessarily Christians. They were Muslims and Jews and people who lived in this sort of a mixed uh, area in this area not too far from Cairo uh, when she appeared on the roof of an Orthodox church. Uh, now, uh, go ahead and continue uh, your, your discussion of that case, uh, Kevin, please. It was very interesting. You were mentioning a healing that had occurred of a Muslim man. Yes, indeed. Uh, he was healed, and there were many reports of other healings. I don't have the whole list, but there have been dozens and dozens that have been alluded to have been uh, connected with this. Now, interestingly, now the Coptic Church did investigate this, and their pope uh, did indicate that this was a valid experience. But in Warik uh, el-Hadar, Egypt, which is another suburb of Cairo, they had another round of this same apparitional event in, two, in the fall of 2009. Really? Didn't yeah. hear about that. No, see, that's the thing. Out of a thousand Catholics, even, you, none of them, maybe one, would know of it. And uh, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. And if someone would like to go to my website, uh, www.marianapparitionsarereal.com, they could see a photo of the Virgin Mary as she appeared to these people uh, that was taken off Arab television. Okay. Well, there we go. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you a chance to promote oh, that at the end. Sure. No, no, not at all. Uh, now, 14 million people saw it. Well, there you go. Now, of course, what's interesting is we're always saying on this show, and of course, you know, we deal with, with the matter of proof and what constitutes proof and, how, and what's the epistemology, how do we know anything, and we really don't, uh, on this show all the time. And of course, you can have a million people 
witnessing something, you can have all kinds of photography, you can have all kinds of remnants, and there's always somebody who's not going to believe it, because I always believe that there are certain super skeptics who need not to believe, so to speak. So I don't know, the, the matter of, but it is what it is. Uh, there's one other issue here, and let, let's go a little deeper. That's what we try and do on this show, uh, Kevin. You had a, a really ferociously male-dominated early Christian church that tried to stamp out goddess worship. Uh, but the people simply refused to let her go. Now, it's hard to argue that Marian devotion is not a result of that, the kind of what they, they, they gave to the people to make up for their loss of ISIS or whoever. Right. Uh, and that's one reason it, that, that Marian devotion infuriates most Protestants. They claim that Marian apparitions and everything else paranormal, for that matter, is demonic, meant not to mislead, take people's attention off Christ. What say you? Well, I say that, uh, and I say this, I'm trying to be delicate and not step on anybody's toes, but it's mostly out of ignorance. Because, uh, really, you know, Mary's not trying to go into business for herself, as like ISIS or <laughs> yeah. something like that. Uh, every message is one of, you know, pointing towards her son and, you know, uh, you know saying God, is, you know, frequently there are many warnings connected to apparitions that God is angry with them for whatever set of reasons and in other words she's acting kind of as a uh, well more or less a messenger of God as opposed to a goddess and also uh, people ought to read the Bible like John 19 verse 26 to 27 Jesus refers to her as our mother as well as his in other words she has more of a a role than just uh, another lady like old Aunt Phyllis down the road and uh that's why I'm saying that most Protestants wouldn't know any of the events we're just talking about or know Catholics, for example. Now, there have been excesses in the church. Yes, there have. In Mexico, there have been excesses uh, where the, the Vatican said, hey, you better back off of this as far as this co-redemptrix of mankind and all that. I agree. But I think most Catholics uh, view her as an intercessor, which intercessory prayer is main staple of Christianity. And uh, they view her as an intercessor, intercessor and messenger of God, and not just and not a goddess. So I mean, the people that they're seeing things as demonic or return to goddess worship really don't know the facts, in my opinion. Okay, uh, Ben. Okay, so now is where it gets a little weird, and this question may sound very odd to you, but many people are struck by the parallels between Marian apparitions and some UFO experiences. Oh, I've been through that before. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I just just wanted to make oh, sure. Oh, no, no, I, I'm ready for that one. George Nori and I uh, talk about that a lot. And, uh, okay, so uh, why is it, for, for example, why is it that she always seems to appear to children and farmers rather than kings and presidents? Well, I, I think, now this is just a subjective insight. I mean, I, uh, we can't, you know, I mean, I'm I can't really speak for that, except that she seems to, a lot of times, appeal to peasant children because they're more innocent. Uh, now, that Juan Diego individual was 57. He was not a child. and uh, Appearing to millions and millions of people in Zaytun was a cross-section of individuals. Uh, I think she appears to people that are guileless, in yeah. my opinion. That's just my opinion. No, no, I, I, I have no problem with that at all. I think that that's... Uh very often the case. Because, uh, you know, Ben's got another question here, but you've you got issues with proof, as I say, and everybody wants uh, proof of this, proof of that. And, of course, I think it's ridiculous because you, you can't prove things like this. The, the uh, 
no matter okay. who, there's always going to be somebody who is uh, skeptical and uh, wants uh, not to believe and this sort of thing. I think it's ridiculous to even try and prove it. But they're, they're always going to say, well, you got simple people here, so therefore you have they're either uh, uneducated like us geniuses who weren't even there, or they were, you know, they're simply uh, you know, silly peasants or whatever. And uh, so I, I agree with you. I think it's it's probably uh, to appear to someone without guile is a very worthy explanation. I think for that. What I will say this too, though, about Fatima now. In Fatima, there was at the death of the sun, the kind of the culminating event in that apparitional series. Uh, there was about a hundred thousand witnesses, and a lot of them were journalists at, who were there to debunk the event. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've done a lot of research, and I've not found any debunking that went on. Matter of fact, just the reverse. I found a lot of conversions. Really? Okay. Yes. Right. Uh, like I say, eighty to a hundred thousand been the estimated number at that. Portugal in October 1917 at culminating event. So, okay. uh, she, so I guess, you know, a lot of those, there's been an educated lot that have gone to see their Okay. Alright, so you talk about the overwhelming evidence of these apparitions and that thousands of people that have a time been some, or have been witnesses. Okay, so what about the idea of mass hysteria? Yeah, which is one of the things that debunkers will try and say. Yeah. Well, but but it, it, is, it is a phenomenon that is supposedly known. So, mm. Well, see, I'm open-minded in that sense. I mean, if I could digress just a minute, uh, <laughs> before my buddy got uh, remarried, he's a business partner, uh, I mean, a roommate of mine, you know, and uh, actually I performed the marriage ceremony <laughs> when he got married. But what I'm saying is uh, he, uh, he and I saw a ghost. And uh, we could tell people to we were blue in the face that we saw a ghost, and they'd say, yeah, you guys had a shot of rum or something like that or mm-hmm. whatever. And uh, it just, like you're saying, Paul, sometimes things just happen and you can't necessarily prove them. Very true, yeah. Okay, but, so uh, I mean, you know, uh, uh, really, uh, it, it, it just happened in, like a little Casper the Ghost. The, I guess the, uh, what was it, the uh, full-body apparition, which is the goal of all <laughs> ghost hunters or whatever. I guess. I'll All right. you another question. Yes. So in your book, you talk about pivotal timing of apparitions. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, a lot of the apparitional events have occurred just at the right moment. Like uh, in the 1531, the uh, Spanish were persecuting the, uh, uh, the natives, the native Indian residents in Mexico, and like they were subhumans, uh, torture, indentured servitude. And I think by the, it would seem that the Virgin Mary appearing to, appearing to a Catholic Indian elevated their status and changed the way the Spanish government treated them, and it, it did make a difference. And it was, the, and the end result were 600 million people got converted to Catholicism and Christianity. And that was just one event, that, that Guadalupe event. And then there have been others, like the Fatima instance was right uh, during World War One. And some of the prophecies connected with it spoke of uh, the Russian Revolution, actually Russian errors in quotes, but I mean that would be by extension Russian Revolution, the rise of communism. And she also spoke of another greater war, which of course was World War II. So what I'm saying is uh, uh, many of these different times she's come to warn humanity, reassure them. (laughs) I mean, many of them are, are really very striking. Uh, the book chronicles many of them that uh, are really pretty remarkable. Like Our Lady of Pont-Maine in France. You know, in 1870, the, 
know, Germans were doing what they always do, invading France. And uh, <laughs> the local uh, people around the Pont Main region were actually uh, praying to the Virgin Mary to intercede and do something about the German advance. And uh, <laughs> she appeared to some children in that town there. And the Germans got wind of it, basically, and turned tail and went back and didn't invade. Mm-hmm. So you could say, well, that was just happenstance. Well, it happened. <laughs> and it yeah, was pivotal. Yeah. And, oh, certainly uh, pivotal, yeah. And uh, there's been other very remarkable ones. There's even one that, that I didn't chronicle in the book. But in 1920, the Germans were ready to invade Warsaw, Poland. <laughs> and they were uh, they were going to cross the river. That's all they had to do to take the capital. 1920? Yeah. Yes, that was the Russians. Oh the, oh, the Russians, okay. Russian, Russian. Right. I'm sorry, the Russians. I keep thinking Germans on my mind, the other wars. But, yes, the Russians were ready to cross the river and take over Poland. There was an apparition of the Virgin Mary, and they turned tail and didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in other words, there's many of these little pivotal times, and, uh, and I can't speak to Medjugorje particularly because it's gone on for a 30-year ep- epic. Uh, still is ongoing. Yeah. All right, so real quick. You you mentioned that the Virgin Mary or Theotokos, whatever you want to call her, usually has messages when she appears to people. Like, does does it all does it always happen in certain events, or what's the most recent time this has happened? Well, uh, the most recent apparitional uh, messages are currently going with a, a, a very interesting seer named Pedro Regis in Brazil, and he actually messages from the Virgin Mary. They post his his messages on his website ahead of time. I mean, you know, as they go, in other words, chronologically. And he predicted the Gulf oil disaster, and he also predicted the Haiti earthquake. Interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. What's his website? Uh, it's Pedro Regis, R-E-G-I-S. Okay. You know, Kevin, I've always been amazed and somewhat amused by how the Roman Church institutionalizes everything. I mean, there are t- not to be cynical, but it seems that there are times when they treat their people like idiots. Uh, if a group of Protestants develops a different spirituality, they just start a new sect. If enough Orthodox hail a certain miracle or honor a certain person as a saint persistently enough, the church hierarchy just accepts it. Um, so there's a big process by which the Western Church uh, validates uh, or approves Marian apparitions. Can you describe that process and how long uh, has that been in force? Well, the uh, up until the 1930s, the Church would periodically have a, a whole authenticated apparition, like in Van Al and Beaurang, Belgium. But uh, now it's the local bishop uh, determines the uh, approval. Oh, really? But the, okay. But the first uh, step is that uh, if an apparition upon the bishop uh, conducting an investigation, uh, it's deemed the first category of acceptance would be uh, worthy of devotional interest. In other words, uh, if, they made, if you were to make a pilgrimage to the site, it's okay, and so forth and so on. And if they find actually supernatural circumstances developed around it, miracle cures or physical evidence or some such, enough witnesses, say, of an apparition, uh, they would, the second category and highest category would be one of supernatural character. Okay. And, uh, like, it's a very torturous experience. There is some subjectivism. I believe in it, like in every other circumstance in human life. Uh, there has to be because they, for example, the apparition of Lao, L-A-U-S, France, uh, happened in the 1600s, and it was approved in May of 2008, so... 
right. Is it it forbidden for Catholics to um, render devotion, you know, through a miracle that has not been approved or... There have been cases where the local bishop has said there'll be no more pilgrimages to such and such because of, uh, uh, say, something spurious. Because that's probably the best way to attract pilgrims. Well, the reason I, I ask that, uh, I'm leading into a question that is very relevant to the work Ben and I do, and that's we are very concerned with determining what is real and what is not, because in the paranormal, nothing is what it appears to be. Right. Whenever we have any sort of contact or, what it, or whatever you want to call it with entities or whoever, whatever, we always are very cautious and we always doubt it and question it, right? Uh, which I think is something that most Christian authorities would agree with, and certainly the authorities of other religions as well. Right. Have you run into cases of Marian apparitions that have turned out not to be Marian apparitions? Yes, In I the have. best of your judgment. The Can you tell has, us about yes. some of those? Yeah, okay. Well, one that comes to mind is the one in Bayside, Queens, New York. Oh, I remember that. And uh, that's just one, but there have been instances, another reason why the church is very deliberate is for the same reason you're alluding to, is there have actually been demonically oriented apparitions. Yeah, that's um, what I'm getting at. Yeah. There have been actual well, we, we might use a different term, but yeah, it's six yeah. and one, half dozen of the other, yeah. Right, and there have, they've actually had some exorcisms connected with some apparitions. Really? Okay. Yes. And, what happened with Bayside? That was pretty well publicized. Uh, that was, that was, but the church uh, has found, you know, kind of bizarre circumstances, utterings and stuff that have nothing at all to do with uh, classical Christianity, which one could only assume would come from a demonic. Well, I will tell you, uh, I was uh, working at the time with Ed and Lorraine Warren, who, uh, you know, you might say one thing or the other about them, but uh, they were, I think, very uh, devoted uh, traditional Roman Catholic people. And they had reported to me uh, just on over dinner one day that there had been some kind of fluky things involved with the Bayside apparitions on Long Island of that period that were um, very questionable and, and had called into question in their minds anyway the legitimacy of this as a Marian apparition. So uh, you do you bring up some old memories with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how many Marian apparitions have been approved by church authorities, or is or do you approximately eleven? Eleven. I mean, uh, that have been fully approved. See, I'm, like I said, I don't need to be murky on it, but there's yeah. different levels of approval. Okay. But, but in the front of the book, it'll have uh, it listed. And there's also been, you know, the sub, you know since the book came out, there, uh, there's been the first apparition on American soil in Wisconsin. A lady of good health that was just approved uh, this last couple months. Okay. Why well, is it so confusing? <laughs> what? There's like different levels of approval, yeah. and uh, why? Well, the Orthodox well, have uh, you know bleeding icons and, and miracle working icons. As a matter of fact, the church in Cumberland, Rhode Island, here uh, right near us, there uh, there was a, such an icon from Russia was touring the country. Uh, they've been uh, noted to have healed people, things of this kind. Now, because uh, because that, that that's within the Christian realm, but outside the realm of Christianity, uh, I have spoken personally with someone who claims to have been healed of cancer by uh, the, the waters of the temple of Isis at Abydos in Egypt, and the, the, the so-called Assyrian, which is the only such place in Egypt that I know of in any of the temple that was dedicated to Osiris. And, um, I mean, is this demonic? I mean, what, what, well, I mean, not, is, is the God the the broad-minded enough? The New Testament alludes to the devil being able to mimic uh, miracles. Uh, also, like you, and one of the things I'm drawn to you folks is that I do believe in this multiverse and it's, it's uh, 
aspects and influence on our day-to-day activities. Uh, I may look at it a little bit different way, but even Jesus said, in my house are many mansions, and I take that to mean complexity. And uh, what I'm saying is there are simple circumstances where faith and faith alone, even if it was faith in uh, the Boston Red Sox, could, you know, cure something. Well, yeah, we appreciate that. You just want a <laughs> home run. Where we are. Yeah, you just uh, <laughs> want a home run with all the locals around here. Well, exactly. I didn't mean to say. Well, my daughter just moved to uh, Boston about two months ago. Oh, you were saying yes, exactly. Is it Walter? Uh, yeah. So it's true, but uh, yeah, and we uh, well, we we're we have um, a very I don't know. I, we're open to all points of view here, yeah. and uh, we we don't hold any particular one. However. Anything that is good and holy and right and true has our honor uh, from this end. So, uh, okay, well, is is there anything, uh, is it Medjugorje now that's the major uh, occurrence? The the local bishop has given a just very tacit, not formal uh, opinion of Regis' work in Brazil, but it's positive. Uh, Medjugorje, there's a commission by Cardinal, it's chaired by Cardinal Ruini, and they're trying to get down to brass tacks about the validity of Medjugorje. It's been going on 30 years, unlike any other apparitional event. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the front of the book is kind of an interesting picture. I got it from a lady in my church, uh, St. Elizabeth Van Seton here in Keller, Texas. And a pilgrim went to Medjugorje, took a photo of the hill where the apparition originally occurred. And this was just of the hill. It wasn't, uh, you know, there was no image on it. And the, the picture was developed, and it has the picture that's on the front cover of the book, where the Virgin Mary's figure is imprinted on the hill, or superimposed, you might say. Okay. Yeah, and I, I got see that, that yeah. from a member of the church, and they're not making any money on it. Uh, no. I don't know if we can put this up to the uh, camera here. Where those Anybody listening online can see the uh, uh, image here. Uh, and I, I had wanted to ask you, of course, too, uh, have the, and because I'm sure this is on the minds of some listeners, has there been any Marian message over the years or recently having anything to do with 2012 or any of that business? There have been some messages relative to earth, earth shifts and cataclysmic events. Really? Okay. That, this Regis fellow, uh, January 21st, if you look up uh, that, he has... Uh, matter of fact, I'm, uh, I've been asked by Coast to Coast, we're working on that now, to maybe get... Uh, maybe it's up in here. Mm-hmm. Whether we can get Pedro Regis on, uh, one of the problems is that uh, he speaks only Portuguese and uh, having an interpreter. But uh, okay. uh, he, on January 21st, he was indicating a change, and basically it, it seems he alluded to the, uh, uh, the earthquake that happened in Chile that actually caused a earth shift and changes rotational axis. Okay. Well, so, so I mean, there's been lots quit. of those. Yeah. Really have. Now, 2012, yeah. not specific. Okay. All right. And finally, Ben, did you have any? Uh, we're just running out of time. Any, any further questions? Um, well, no. Nope. I, I was going to ask about the, the, living in the computer age, where almost anything can be faked. Do church authorities take further care than they used to, as far as uh, the legitimacy of, say, photographs or? Well, they're so methodical. I think the change, the, the uh, level of care has been pretty consistent. I mean, I mean, I don't mean to be trite about it, but I'm going through a, a, just a simple annulment. <laughs> Holy, oh my goodness, that was gone on forever. Yeah, they, so, so that's not as important as an apparition. So. <laughs> well, I suppose it makes sense to have all that. Otherwise, you'd have people like Vlad the Impaler becoming a saint in the Catholic Church. Yeah. 
Well, I don't know. There are, yeah, there's some Orthodox who consider him a hero because he stood against the uh, Muslim invasion of Europe. But anyway, all depends on your point of view. Okay, Kevin, Kevin, uh, tell us, uh, tell us again about your book, where people can get it, and about your website. Well, the website is www.marianapparitionsareal.com, and the same name as the book. And the website has a link to uh, Amazon, or you can just go into a Barnes Noble store and just buy it. Either Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or just go to the website or just walk in. <laughs> okay, very good. All right, and what are you working on now? Another well, book coming, or? Well, I'm uh, possibly going to be writing a book on uh, Padre Pio and some other uh, ah yes mm-hmm. other circumstances which have occurred to the odor of sanctity and so many other very fascinating things that have occurred, in, not just in saints' lives, but in, for example, that odor of sanctity. If I could say real quickly. The lady that's handling my annulment of the church actually experienced that with her relatives at a hospital room with another relative. I mean, the whole load of them. Yeah, I've experienced it myself. Yeah. Well, see, it's, it's very commonplace. Yeah. Nobody's much ever written a book on it. Yeah. I, I was thinking about stressing that. Not, not, to, not to go over time here, but I was re- really interested in, when you had the experience after crossing yourself with the holy water of, of, a, of a chill. Yeah. That usually people report warmth. Well, it was a pleasant sensation. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, it was a very pleasant thing. It was just a whoa. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, no, it was right. good. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Kevin, it's been. I'm glad we finally got you on the air here, and we had a wonderful uh-huh. conversation. Thank you very much, and good luck in your work. And um, we certainly recommend the book "Marian Apparitions Are Real: Visits from Jesus and Mary" by Kevin A. Cook, T. H. M. Very good. Thank you, Kevin. We'll be Thank in you. touch off the air. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay. All right. All right. Very good. Kevin A. Cook, everyone. Very interesting subject of Marian apparitions. Um, I don't know if I agree with them that all pagan apparitions are demonic. I don't like that idea. It's yeah. Kind of uh, to each his own. Yeah, that's it. Well, you know, again, we, we're open to all good things. Okay, well, let's... Um, what do we got here, Mr. Producer? How many we got three minutes. Three? Yeah, about three minutes. Okay, very good. All right. Well, we certainly want to... Um, uh, thank uh, Lon Strickler, who helped us fill in the, the gaps here uh, with our Mothman story. Uh, I'd like to find out more about that, and we'll be in touch with Lon about this sighting at the uh, by the woman from Ohio uh, at the uh, mall here in West Virginia, and especially the thing appearing uh, there when they were in their hotel. Very interesting. And we are interested all the time in any, particularly Mothman events or events that people, even uh, that you can't really classify, please write to us, uh, Paul or Ben, at BehindTheParanormal.com. And we will, uh, if we have a reporter, show a reporter in your area, we're always very willing to have them check these things out with you and see if they can't help or uh, at least find out more about it. So many thanks to our very good and saintly producer, Steve Bianchi, who held us together tonight. And we'll see you next Monday, April 11th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here on WON, 1240 a.m. on com. Uh, ben and I will welcome author and paranormal researcher Barry Conrad. And our subject will be encounters with some really weird creatures in Hopkinsville slash Kelly, Kentucky in 1955. Uh, they were associated with a UFO. But wait, 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 wait a second. Hopkinsville, Hopkinsville. Why is that familiar? There's something. I think familiar. we went through there a couple of years ago on the way to Alabama. Uh, I remember hearing something about it. I don't yeah. know what it is. Very I'll, strange. I'll uh, gremlin. No, they were described as um, what goblin-like men. 
little men who would attack this farmhouse where two people were. They didn't attack it, but they uh, approached it and scared the daylights out of everybody. Anyway, that's next week's show. Yeah, it's like Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay, so <laughs> exactly. in the meantime, tune into our Sunday evening CBS radio edition of Behind the Paranormal in Boston, Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Seattle, and online at www.newskyradio.com. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.